You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're calling this series uh, The Porcupine Dance. And uh, what this uh, title comes from, it actually is a quote from Chuck Swindoll, radio preacher from Texas now. And he said that our relationships with each other are sort of like porcupines trying to dance together. And we always are poking each other and we have trouble getting close. The thing about porcupines is porcupines have difficulty getting close and intimate with each other. And that's the irony of the human relationships that we have. We long for intimacy, but we struggle with intimacy because we keep poking each other and causing each other problems. So today, we're going to be looking at some more principles. Last week, we talked about the importance of not looking at a person that you're in conflict with and demonizing the person, seeing them as a monster, but seeing them as good, a good person that has a different view than you have. So we talked about that a little bit last week, and we're going to be using the same story today to talk about some more principles about how to get along with each other. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41, we see this classic argument that Paul and Barnabas had, uh, these godly, good people, good, good people that had conflict with each other. And we're going to look at some other principles, perhaps, in this story that help us today. Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, it says in Acts 15, verse 36, let us go back. Paul said to uh, Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took, Mo- Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. So Paul and Barnabas have an argument, and it, resolve, it has to do with what happened on the first missionary journey they took, where uh, Barnabas's cousin was with them, John Mark, and uh, he was on the first part of the trip on the island of Cyprus, and then when they went into Asia Minor to the next part of the trip, he went home and he quit. We don't know why he quit. We don't know if he was homesick or if he was afraid of going through the Tarshish Mountains where there was a lot of bandits and robbers. But for whatever reason, he quit. And when the second missionary journey came around where Paul wanted to do a follow-up trip, he did not want to take John Mark, but uh, Barnabas did want to take John Mark. And they had this sharp disagreement. It was a sharp disagreement. The word in the Greek is they were giving jabs at each other. I don't know that they were physically fighting, but they were verbally jabbing each other. This was not a little like, you know, disagreement. They are into it. They're arguing. They're having a serious argument. Good people, godly people having this big argument. I was watching the... uh, the Ravens a Saints football game uh, on Monday night and uh, saw the altercation that happened between uh, Lamar Jackson and uh, Ronnie Stanley. Ronnie Stanley, one of the offensive guards there, was his job was you know to pay attention to the clock and, and he's supposed to tap the center on the on the leg and the center's supposed to hike the ball and uh, evidently you know Ronnie Stanley didn't do it quick enough and they had a, a delay of game uh, penalty against them and Lamar Jackson 
got incredibly angry and threw the ball down. And uh, he just got really mad. And then in front of everybody, Ronnie Stanley and Lamar Jackson got into it. And the actual people in the puddles are trying to separate them. And so it was very entertaining. We were enjoying that, watching that. Uh, you know, it was uh, inter- entertaining to watch. And, and after the game, Lamar Jackson was asked about that. And he said, hey, we're just, Ronnie and I, we're just get into it sometimes. So I, th- I think when we think about the argument that uh, Paul and Barnabas are having, it's like that kind of argument. It's not like, you know, they kind of like disagree a little bit. They are into it and they're arguing. Now, what I want to know when I see conflict in relationships, I want to see what is it that's causing these conflicts? Because we do have conflicts. We do have arguments. But what is the source of these conflicts? Where do these conflicts come from? Now, I would suspect that there's some other issues that are involved here, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in the story, that it wasn't. Usually when there's a blow-up, when there's a big blow-up between a married couple or, or between friends or between business worker or co-workers, when there's a big blow-up, more than likely there's something else underneath of the surface. And so I wonder in that story, in this story, if that's the case. But let me talk about a, one principle that I see in the story uh, if you think about the relationship that Barnabas and Paul have, they've had a long-term relationship. They have been together for a long time. In fact, when Paul was an outsider, nobody believed in Paul. Nobody cared about him. Uh, everybody was suspicious of him. It was Barnabas that took Paul in, brought him in to uh, the, the other apostles. He supported uh, Paul all through this, and this has been going on for a long time. And then you, when, when they need help in Antioch of Syria, where the Gentile church started to emerge, Paul went, or, or Barnabas went to get Paul to Tarsus and brought him to Antioch. And so Barnabas has this long relationship with the apostle Paul. Uh, and so he's helped him. He's been his mentor. And so what happens in this story is that Paul, it says in the first part of the story, it says, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the, brethren, the believers in all the towns where we, where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Paul gives a definitive statement about what should be what he wants to happen. Paul gives a uh, kind of a, like almost a command, hey, this is what we're going to do. And I want you to think about a relationship. When you've had a relationship with somebody a long time and you give a definitive statement, this is what we're going to do, then you're going to have problems in that relationship. Because long-term relationships require that you invite input before you make a major decision. When you kind of impose your will on another person that you have a long-term relationship with, then you are bound to have problems. Now, what, here's, here's an interesting principle. If you're married together and you've been together a long time, if you come into the situation, the relationship, and you're, giving, uh, you're making sentences that end with an explanation point, you're many times going to have problems because pushy people have problems with people. Pushy people have problems with people. Sometimes if you are too overbearing, too pushy, and sometimes our personalities lend toward us being pushy or overbearing. My, uh, my family on my father's side, the, my dad was a part of the Tolbert family. From uh, we are, Most of our family is from Virginia Beach area. Uh, the Tolbert side of the family are very black and white and cleric kind of persons. 
My grandmother was that way. My aunt is that way. Uh, I have that gene running in me. And sometimes if you are a pushy, overbearing person and you give commands to people, you are going to have problems with those relationships. It's better in a long-term relationship to end your, your, your sentences in a question mark rather than an explanation mark. So if you're like, this is what we're going to do, then you're going to have difficulties in the relationship. Uh, I used to have done some counseling over the years, and I remember uh, I've counseled a number of policemen and their wives. And uh, sometimes it comes from this problem that sometimes the wonderful policemen in our community, that they're in their squad car wearing their hat and wearing their gun and having authority. When they come into the house, they forget to take their hat off because that's a different kind of relationship. Uh, and so you have to think about how do you relate to the people that you're in a long-term relationship with. Here's an important principle. When you're relating to people that uh, are, you're in a long-term relationship with, it's important to always get input from them. Get input from them. What would have happened in this story if Paul said to Barnabas, Barnabas, I was thinking about, you know, those people that we led to the Lord, those churches we planted, I bet they would really love to see us. What do you think about us going together and having a follow-up trip. If he had asked that way, instead of said, Paul said, this is what we're going to do, uh, maybe that would have had a different outcome on, on how that thing worked. So when you think about how you relate to people, are you a pushy, overbearing person? Are you a person that gives your uh, statements to the people you're in relationship with with an explanation mark? Are you a person that brings in and invites input from other people? Because great leaders are not simply great communicators. Great leaders are great listeners. When you and I learn to listen, the greatest skill any successful person has in relationships is not speaking but listening, learning to listen. Stephen Covey said, Seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. Seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. And Paul didn't take time to listen. James says this. Uh, James, the uh, brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, says this. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, everyone, regardless of your personality, maybe you're a choleric, maybe you're an overbearing person, maybe you're a strong person, maybe you're educated, maybe you're, you know, you got this or that, maybe you're rich, maybe you got all this clout. James says everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Back in, uh, right after 9-11 happened, uh, September 11th, of course, in 2001, um, uh, three days later, September 14th, George W. Bush goes to Ground Zero. I don't know if you remember that. He's got a bullhorn, and he's standing on a pile of rubble, and he's standing next to a fireman, a guy named Bob Beckwith. And George Bush, George W. Bush, gives probably his best speech Probably his best moment of his presidency. He says this. Here's what, here's what he says. I want you to know that, that America, that I want all, you all to know that America today, America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people where, uh, whose lives were lost here, for the workers and who work here, for the families who mourn. The nation stands with the good people of New York and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. Bush said. Now he's saying that. And then there's a group of rescue workers 
that say, we can't hear you. We can't hear you. And then it must have been a moment of inspiration where Bush said, but I can hear you. We can hear you. And the people that knock down these buildings will hear from all of us soon. That was the best moment of his presidency because he said, we can hear you. We can hear you. That is a very important principle in your relationship with your spouse. If you're married to a beautiful, wonderful, talented, intelligent woman, the most important thing for her to know is that you can hear her. You can listen to her. That you're not, you know, you know, you're not just walking around doling out orders and telling her what to do. Or it can go the other way. Maybe you're the kind of the bossy kind of wife and you're just doling out orders, doling out orders. The important thing is, can you hear what other people are saying? Can you hear what other people are saying? Paul said, his ears were closed. He said, this is what we're going to do. Instead of inviting input, he could have said, Paul, he could have said, Barnabas, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? That's a credibly powerful tool in relationships. When you say to the other person, when you ask the other person for input, what do you do? You raise, you, you raise the value of that person. You make them feel significant. You make them feel honored. If you just kind of bulldoze over people all the time without getting their input, they don't feel valued and they feel abused in the relationship. So that's an important thing for us to think about. I heard once about this guy that had his, uh, he had a German shepherd dog that had some issues. The German shepherd dog, he took him to the vet and took the German shepherd dog to the vet and, and the vet gave some meds for the dog to get better. And when he got the dog home, the German shepherd, he put him in the garage and put the garage door down and he's chasing the dog around trying to give him this medicine. And the dog is running everywhere. He's trying to get away from the, from the owner with this medicine he's got. And the, and the owner's got the dog by the back of the neck and the mane and he's trying to force the medicine and the dog's growling and the dog's trying to get away. And, and finally, you know, in the, in the rustle and, and then trying to get, you know, this dog the medicine, he spills the medicine on the floor and the dog trots over there and licks the medicine up. The problem was never the medicine. The problem was the delivery of the medicine. And it's not the problem with what you say sometimes. It's the delivery. It's do you value the other person? And listen, if you are a controlling person and strong people that have uh, strong opinions can be controlling and they have the capacity to always know what they want to do, but they don't have the capacity to listen for input. Input is essential in a relationship. So that's one of the things that I think happens here in this relationship. It's important for, for us to listen and to think, uh, what can we hear from the other person and how can we go into this relationship in a more successful way? I was watching a one of my favorite movies the other night, I was watching Hoosers. Uh, Gene Hackman, and uh, he plays Norman Dale, who's this uh, washed-up college basketball coach. In my opinion, Hoosers is one of the best movies ever made. I love that movie. I mean, I can watch it ten times and cry every time. I love that movie. Uh, and, and, and Norman Dale, played by Gene Hackman, overbearing. He's the boss. He knows what's right. He tells the team. And he, he needs to have that kind of relationship in the beginning to get the team disciplined. And there's a time, there's certain situations, you know, if you go to work and you're right out of medical school and you go to work for, you know, experienced surgeon, you know, you got, you got cornflakes for brains. You need to listen to the next guy. 
He's been there a while. But as the relationship, if you look at the relationship between uh, Norman Dale, Gene Hagman, and his team as they go through all these games and they finally get to the Indiana State Championship, there's a scene in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the movie where they're coming down, they're behind, there's tied, the game is tied 40-40, and uh, the, the, the key player, Jimmy Chitwood, uh, Gene Hackman has a team around him, and he said, we're gonna, they think we're going to throw it to Jimmy, uh, but we're not going to throw it to Jimmy. We're going to throw it to Bud, and we're going to throw him off. And the team stands there, and they disagree. And he says, guys, what's wrong? And Jimmy Chitwood says, I'll make it. And Gene Hackman, Dale, uh, Norman Dale in the, in the movie, listens to the team he listens to the team because the relationship is long-term. The relationship has this long history, and now there's this input relationship basis. And then, of course, Jimmy goes out there and makes the basket. And I'm crying, and I'm thinking, that's great. The Hoosers, Hoosers won again. I love it. Hey, listen, just say this. Input in my relationships is essential. So when possible... Use a question mark instead of an explanation mark. I used to have a, a guy that worked with me, had a lot of trouble in, the in his relationships here on staff, and I remember talking to him, and I said to him, listen, you have so much talent, you're so gifted in so many ways, but I said, everything you say ends with an explanation mark. You never invite input from other people, and you're losing uh, influence. Here's the thing. Here's the thing we think. If we ask input from other people, we ask other people what we should do, and we kind of get input from them, we feel like we're going to lose control, we're going to lose influence, and we're not going to be effective. But here's the key. Here's the irony of it. When you invite input, listen to this, when you invite input from your spouse, you gain influence. When you don't invite input from your spouse, you lose influence. So you got to have ears, you got to listen. So that could be one of the things that went wrong in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. Another thing that could have happened in the relationship is, and I always think there's something underneath this big blow-up. One of the things that could have happened, and this is a theory of some of the scholars, is that there was a shift in leadership between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas starts out on the first missionary journey as he's the leader. And they, they go to this island of Cyprus, which is just off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They are beautiful, beautiful little island. And, uh, and when they start the missionary journey, it's Barnabas that's in charge. And then after a while, when they leave Cyprus, as soon as they leave Cyprus, Paul is in charge. Here's how we know that. Six times it says Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. When they leave the island of Cyprus... It all of a sudden becomes Paul and Barnabas in the text, Paul and Barnabas. It says Barnabas and Paul six times. It says Paul and Barnabas 11 times. And when you look at the book of Acts, you see Paul taking leadership, and there was a real need for leadership in the mission, and Paul takes leadership. And did it, did it occur to Barnabas in his mind? Did he begin to think? Did he begin to feel a little envious? Hey, listen, I'm the one that helped Barna, uh, Paul out. I'm the one that was behind him when nobody would have anything to do with him. And now he's taking charge. Did it have something to do with a little bit of jealousy in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas? Was Barnabas a little jealous of Paul's new found leadership gift? And so one of the things that can sabotage our relationship is envy. 
Envy. We can have envy in the relationship. Here's what, uh, here's what happens in our relationship sometimes. If we envy a person, here's, here's something that's interesting. You can never, ever be close to somebody you're jealous of. You can never have a close relationship with someone that you are envious of. And maybe Paul and Barnabas had drifted apart a little bit because of envy. Here's what it says in Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs 27.4. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? And then here's this great one in Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or female servants ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Sorry about that, folks. I don't know what that is exactly, but... How's that? Is that better? Does that feel good? Is that good? Mike, we good? All right, good, good, good. Everybody say, Mike deserves a raise. Just say that right now. Mike deserves a raise. (laughs) So here's the thing. In our relationships, now this is maybe not so much in a husband uh, wife relationship. Maybe it's a relationship with your friends. You know, you're all, all your friends are struggling with their weight. You know, you're all, you know, going to Weight Watchers, but you're going to Dunkin' Donuts afterwards. I mean, you're not doing good. And all your friends, you're just living in misery together. You know, you're just doing, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody, somebody really starts losing weight. I mean, now you got somebody that's really looking good, and they're just telling you how much they, you know, what the new set dress size is, and they're looking so good, and you're just thinking, I just wish they would just fall off the planet of the earth. <laughs> or, you know, maybe, you know, you're all working hard, and then one of your friends really becomes very successful, and they start making a lot of money. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. It's really easy to mourn with people that are suffering, to go to people that aren't doing good. You can say to them, oh man, you can just like commensurate with them. But to rejoice with somebody, to rejoice with somebody that has, uh, you know, really doing really well, that's a whole different thing. You want me to hold this mic? Mike wants me to hold this mic. Is that right, Mike? Okay. We good now? Can you hear me, Fan McAllen? Can you guys hear me? Okay, good, good. Can we just use this? It's up to me, okay? Okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do the, uh, the evangelist thing and just use this thing. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Everybody give Mike a big hand again, would you? Man. So the issue sometimes, was it in the relationship with Paul and Barnabas, was it this issue that, uh, you know, that he was a little misgiven that all of a sudden Paul is doing so well and he's the leader. So learning, you know, relationships can be sabotaged by our envy sometimes and our jealousy of a person. And so we have to learn to be able to celebrate with somebody that's doing really well. Here's here's the thing. The Bible says rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. And it was, I think it was Mark Rutland, Dr. Mark Rutland, that says here's what God does. Here's what God does to teach, teach us how to have the right heart toward people. He says this, he says that, you know, if you're a mother and you have three kids and you buy a candy bar, what you do is you, uh, 
you come home and you take that candy bar and you cut it in three pieces and you give that to each one of the kids. That's what a mother would do. He said that here's how God works. God comes home. There's three kids there. He gives one of the kids a candy bar and tells the kid to eat the candy bar. And he tells the other two kids to clap while the kid's eating the candy bar. So we need to know how to rejoice with people that are doing well. To rejoice that people are, are doing well. And, 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 and Barnabas could have said, Lord, I just so thank you that you've elevated Paul, that you're using Paul, that he's become a leader, that he's coming into his own, and he's becoming the kind of person you wanted to be. Paul is walking in the grace that God has given him, and we have to learn how to be content with our mission in life, our station in life. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have ambition, that we don't try to, to, to elevate ourselves, to, to, to get a raise or, or to get promoted or to make more investments. All that's important. But sometimes people are struggling their relationships because they're just plain envious of the success of other people. And that's a really, really hard thing. So you have to just say this. You know, you have to say to the Lord, Lord, You've called me to do a certain thing. You've given me a certain station in life. You've given me a certain ministry. You've given me a certain uh, mission. You've given me a certain job. Uh, and, and if I'm not happy in the little house, I'll never be happy in the big house. If I'm not happy in the big house, I'll never be happy in the bigger house. If I'm not happy as vice president, I won't be happy as president. Learning to be content, Paul said, to be content in every situation that the Lord has put you in. So that's an important principle for us to, to embrace and think about. Very, very important principle for us to think about. And um, a couple little things here that I think are relevant to that. Paul, Paul was, uh, you know, being elevated in the way that God wanted to be elevated. And, 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 and so you have to kind of like, you know, lean into that. Uh, here's, what I, here's what I thought about this. Listen to this. Your value, very important principle here. Your value is not determined by what others think of you. Your value is not determined by what others think of you, what others think you should do, what others think you should do. How many know that some people have a wonderful plan for your life? And how many know that your life is, belongs to the Lord? Paul, uh, the Lord said through Paul in one of his letters, uh, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. My life, my life is under the lordship of Christ, and so the Lord has a, he has a plan for my life. So don't be in bondage to what other people think you ought to do, uh, or don't think uh, your value is not determined by what others think of you. Your value is not determined, determined by what others think you ought to do. Your value is not determined by what you own or possess, what you own or possess. So learning to be content with what the Lord has given you, and be thankful. So here's what your value is. Your value is determined by what God thinks of you, what He wants you to do, and what God makes you steward over uh, in your life. So my, my life, my value comes from my, the Lord, my relationship with the Lord, what His mission is for me, what His ministry is for me, what He wants me to do, um, the things that He's given me. He's blessed me in so many ways, but He's made me steward over these things. And so my value, when I look at another person, and if they seem to have more than I have, and if I look at that other person and become envious of them, I'm not going to be able to be the kind of person the Lord wants me to be. 
So you got to focus. We have to focus on what the Lord has called us to do and what the Lord has called us to accomplish. Have you ever gone to, uh, you ever gone uh, on an uh, airplane flight and you have a carry-on and you got the carry-on and the carry-on is, you know, so, you know, you know, you're going to have some clothes where you get, wherever you get. And, you know, if they lose your luggage. So we like to do carry-on. So you take a carry-on on the airplane and you pull it down the aisle there and you open up the little compartment there. Uh, pop the little compartment up, the overhead compartment, and you put your carry-on. Of course, it's a little too big, so you, you know, you got crowbars and everything. You're trying to get it in there, but you put your luggage into the carry-on, and finally you shut the door. When you think about your value, when you think about your self-worth, when you think about how you feel about your life, if your life is in your position, if your life is in what you own, if your life is in your, your status, if your life is in what other people think of you, when that changes, it pulls you down. But if, you, if your life is in the Lord, you say, Lord, you are Lord of my life. You're Lord of my mission. You're Lord of what I own. You're Lord of everything. You put all of your identity in that overhead compartment. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter how much they have. It doesn't matter how much they succeed. It doesn't matter what their position is. You are not undermined by that because your value is found in what the Lord thinks of me. So say this with me. What the Lord thinks of me is what matters. Say this out loud with me. What the Lord has for me to do is the mission He's given me. What the Lord has given me to own, I am steward of that thing. So you have to just kind of recalibrate that. So you think about Barnabas not being content in his role because something inside of him perhaps was, you know, my identity is wrapped up in sort of you know, my position here as the leader. So you've got to kind of think about that. That's an important thing. Last thing uh, that we see in the story here uh, is that uh, what happened with Paul and Barnabas could have come from a, 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 a earlier wound that happened between uh, Paul and Barnabas. There's a story in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, where it says this, when it says that uh, when Cephas came to Antioch, the word Cephas there is the, is the Aramaic word for, for Peter. So it, that's the same thing as Peter. When Peter came or Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisies, even Barnabas was led astray. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So one of the theories about why Paul and Barnabas had a falling out was this had happened in the past. There was a situation where they were in Antioch where, uh, where you know, 
Paul and Barnabas were just enjoying the freedom of, of not being under the regulation of the law. They were, you know, eating with the Gentiles. They're having ham sandwiches. They're having a great time. They're not all hung up on those type of things. And then some of the leaders came from Jerusalem, from James, who led the church in Jerusalem, and they were much more legalistic. And so what happened is, is that uh, all of a sudden, Peter began to back away from the Gentile people and began to, you know, look more Jewish. And Barnabas, because he has a long-term relationship, a long-term relationship with those people in Jerusalem, he's known James longer than he's known Paul, and longer than he's known Paul. He has this long-term relationship, and Barnabas is sort of led astray, and he gets into that compartmentalization where he's not having anything to do with the Gentiles. And Paul does the right thing. Paul said he confronted them, and he confronted the situation in front of everybody. And sometimes there's a need for confrontation, and he did the right thing because they were compromising the gospel, saying that you've got to become Jewish in order to become a follower uh, and to be a real part of God's family. And so Paul confronted them straightforward. He confronted them head on and dealt with the situation. And, and Barnabas is sitting there, and Barnabas is being kind of dressed down because of what uh, because Paul is confronting the situation. So you got this kind of thing where Barnabas is kind of getting rebuked with everybody else. So was that a wound? Was that a wound that he kept thinking about? Was that something that, boy, he started thinking about, you know, boy, I can't believe that, that Paul did that in front of everybody. I, as much as I've done for him, as much as I've helped him, I wonder, you know, why did he do that? And he's got a festering wound in him, and he was hurt. When I was uh, 14 years old, I was, uh, my dad was a Methodist pastor, and I was uh, sitting in church one Sunday night, and uh, there was a pretty girl in the church that I've been wanting to sit with for a long time, and I've been kind of campaigning to sit with her, and I got her to sit with me finally, and we're sitting on the front row, and uh, my dad's preaching. And I, I don't know what he's saying, but I'm talking to this girl. I'm like talking to her. I'm just talking to her. I'm just talking to her. I just told you folks, I'm on the second row. You'd think I'd be a little smarter sitting in the back, but I was sitting on the second row. My dad said, stopped his sermon. He said, here's what he said. I'll never forget. He said, Danny, do you have something to add to this service? <laughs> I did not. Did not. And I tell you, I was wounded. I remember sitting in the car waiting for my dad. I was mad as fire. He called me out, you know. And I, I learned from that. I sat in the back with the pretty girls after that. I sat in the back. <laughs> but it wounded me. And did, did Barnabas get wounded? And was it there? And did he not deal with it? And was it festering? And when Paul came in with his bossy attitude, we're going to do this mission trip, maybe that wound just erupted. Here's the thing we know about relationships. Relationships require that we deal with the wounds that we have in our relationships. Sometimes we get wounded by things that happen. Sometimes we get wounded by what people say to us. Sometimes we get wounded by something that happens. And we have to deal with that. 
quickly deal with offensive and offenses and wounds. You got to quickly deal with those. So if you've been wounded by a, someone in a relationship, the best thing to do is to try to process that. And uh, Karen and I, over the years that we've been married together, all these years, there's things that we've said to each other at times and frustration, mainly me, not so much her. But, you know, you get into an argument. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse and it's almost over and you say one more thing? How many has that ever happened to you? I mean, it's almost, it's winding down. It's winding down. It's almost over. And then you say, i got to make one more point. And you make that one more point. And then you're up another three hours trying to process that. See, when we have wounds, we say things to each other and we wound each other. It's important that we take responsibility for what we said. It's important that we acknowledge that, hey, listen, what you said really hurt me. Uh, and, and you know what a lot of people do is they kind of like when they've been wounded, they kind of stuff that. Maybe they're passive aggressive, you know, where they, you know, they kind of like, uh, you know, you can tell something's wrong, but they don't say what's wrong. And so that festering, lingering wound. So here's the thing about wounds. It says in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 12, verse 5, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grow up and cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no root of bitterness grows up and calls trouble and defile many. And here's what it, that verse begins by this. I think it's Hebrews 12, 15. It says, uh, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. This is Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of or misses the grace of God. What does that mean? That means when somebody offends you or somebody hurts you, God gives you grace to deal with that. He gives you grace to forgive them. You know, if we're, if we're, if we're offended and we're wounded in a relationship, what we can do is we can miss the grace of God. We can put the, push the grace of God off and not lean into the grace of God. But the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. So quickly deal with a wound. Maybe, maybe this wound that we're talking about here between Paul and Barnabas maybe had been going on for a long time. And maybe... Barnabas just stuffed it there. And if you're in a marriage relationship and you've had a serious scar in your relationship, it's important to, to work on that wound. It's important to get the counseling you need. It's important to, to let God's grace come in and heal that wound. And it's important that if you've been guilty of wounding the person uh, in the relationship, that you take responsibility for that, that you don't slough it off and say, well, you know, it's just one of those things, that you lean into taking responsibility for it and you ask for forgiveness and you let the Lord's grace come in to that relationship and deal with it. I remember when I first moved here, uh, one of the, I think it was the first year I was here, I had a garden uh, behind the mobile home that Karen and I lived in, and uh, I planted this garden. I was all excited. I thought I'd have a, a garden, and so my granddad came over and helped me uh, turn up the soil, and I had this garden, and uh, I had no idea 
no idea how much work weeding was. I, I, I had visions of a beautiful garden, but I didn't know that you had to weed that garden regularly. And, uh, and it just got ahead of me, got ahead of me. And by July, I was running the push more between the, the rows of corn. I mean, I had, it was, it just completely got away because I wasn't dealing with the weeds. And when you think about your relationships that you have, it's important that, that when there's an offense, when there's something that's, that's underneath, something that's happened, that you take and you weed that, you deal with that, and you ask the Lord to help you. I want to pray for you right now. If you just lift up your hands, and we've been talking about some principles and relationships this morning, and um, just ask the Lord to help you as you, uh, as you work through some of these things. Father, we're grateful that your word is just so transparent about real people in the Bible, and we're just learning to, to grow in our faith and learning to be successful in our faith. And we ask you, Lord, to just help us as we, as we forgive the wounds that have happened in our relationships. We ask you to help us, Lord, as we learn to be kinder and gentler, how we communicate with each other, that we're not so bossy. But Lord, we just pray that you'll help us uh, to become uh, content with the relationships that, that you've given, given us so many good relationships. And we pray that you'll help us to, to, to see your grace poured out on these relationships so that they grow and prosper. And we thank you for your healing grace that's with us today. Heal the marriages that are here. Uh, heal the friendships that are here. Heal the people that need healing from you. And let this be the beginning of, of wonderful healing and your grace and love in our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.